text for this morning is Ecclesiastes because the sermon is spread out over several weeks, and so today we look at some of the verses that uh, we read together and how that relates to the rest of the book, and as we hear this uh, explained to us, we'll understand uh, more. So we won't read the whole book of Ecclesiastes right now, but as we look at this in the next uh, few weeks, it's good to read through the whole book of Ecclesiastes uh, several times. And even just the beginning verses that we read can be used as a starting point. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as you read these verses of Ecclesiastes, it makes you think of the time maybe you were in an airplane and you were, you were looking down on, on the world below or maybe you liked to hike and you were sitting on a, a mountain and you could see a road down below or maybe a little town and you were looking down on all the little people doing their things or maybe you didn't have any, either of these opportunities. Maybe you saw a, a video of, of a, a drone, a video taken by a drone that's flying high above, and you look down and, and you see life is, looks so small. All these little people doing their thing, and you can imagine them feeling so important with their suits on or their work clothes on, and they go and they, you can see little cars driving around, and everybody feels so important. And it, you wonder, what, what's life really all about? Ecclesiastes does that. It's a book that takes a look at the big picture of life. But it's better than a, a video from a drone or a person sitting on a mountain because Ecclesiastes comes to us from the sovereign creator who made everything that we see and know. He was before all things and in him all things Hold together. He is not a, a part of creation, but he is beyond it. He is beyond the sun. And when we read Ecclesiastes, we need to remember that, that through this book, God is speaking to us from beyond the sun. We believe that Ecclesiastes is the word of God. And just as it is with many psalms and with many books in the Old Testament, it doesn't matter very much that we cannot say with certainty who the author was. The author of the book of Ecclesiastes was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And the words that we read today, that we read in Ecclesiastes, are words that are breathed by God. And 2 Timothy 3 says, therefore they are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And although there are uh, some, sometimes even hostile debates about the authorship of Ecclesiastes, with some claiming that you must believe it is Solomon if you want to be orthodox, and others saying that you cannot be a serious biblical scholar if you believe that the author is Solomon. 
Most can agree that the book is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It comes from God, and it is written from the perspective of Solomon, especially at the beginning, written by the, from the perspective of Solomon, whether it was his pen or not. You see, the starting point of the book of Ecclesiastes calls you to imagine what it would have been like to be the king, the son of David in Jerusalem, that's in verse 1 of chapter 1 and verse 12 of chapter 1, having received everything that God had promised. And, and that points you to 1 Kings 8, verse 56, where it says, Solomon says, Now that I've received everything that God has promised, not one of his words have fallen to the ground. And then you read, and it says, Imagine you had wisdom that people came from other countries to hear about, or that you had access to all sorts of, of, of riches, that you had many wives, that you had continuous building projects. And the author of Ecclesiastes, the Holy Spirit, now asks the question, do you think you would be satisfied if you received everything that Solomon had under the sun? And such a question is only dealt with reliably by the Holy Spirit who sees everything, who is God, who sees everything from his sovereign throne, who sees everything from beyond the sun, who knows the big picture, who is ensured also that we receive the book of Ecclesiastes. And so when we look at Ecclesiastes, we understand it comes to us from God. We need to also understand the form of this book that God has given to us. The technical word is, is genre. I had a meeting in, in, the, in the school, the Pick school the other day. I noticed in the library there, the word genre is on the wall. So I can use that word if I want. But it means, refers to the form of the message that God speaks to us. How does he speak to us? It, it's like how you read a document. You don't read your water bill like you would read a letter from a friend. You can't treat Ecclesiastes like you would treat the book of laws or even a book of Proverbs. It's clear from the form and the structure of wisdom literature that this book is a unified text. It's, it's a unified message. It is one message, and the question is, what is the meaning of life? And in order to investigate the question, the Holy Spirit guides us in a journey through a dialogue of investigating the different sides of everything. That's the book of Ecclesiastes. So some parts of the book of Ecclesiastes are observations. Others are commentaries that traditional wisdom would present. And other parts are a further response that show the inadequacy of the previous conclusions. And understanding this dialogue, this, this character of Ecclesiastes, you will immediately read this book expecting, expecting false statements, expecting inadequate presuppositions. Because the author is presenting 
the position of a person who lives under the sun, who can't see the whole picture. And as a result, almost every individual part of the book of Ecclesiastes is incomplete as a worldview. The explanations run short. There are secular conclusions, sort of like you read in Psalm 14. You can look for one that says there is no God, right there in the Bible, right? There is no God, but that's an, a partial conclusion. It's, it's something that's made in the broader context. And so we really have to be careful when we quote from Ecclesiastes or you use these parts as sermon texts that are isolated from the whole message. It would be a daunting task to preach a series on this kind of book without manipulating the conclusions, all the parts, to, to say what you want. And so I concluded that I would only preach one sermon on, on the whole book, but just divide up the parts over several weeks. And as you study the structure and the content of the book, you will see how the whole book is actually one extended proverb. It, it's one wise saying. It's like a, a one poem or a literary, like a joke. It, it belongs together. It's, it's a thing you have to say, and every part belongs together. It cannot be divided up. And Ecclesiastes shows the same structure. It's, it's very carefully constructed. It is a self-contained unit. There are major themes that run through it that together form one picture, and the whole lot is inserted in the envelope of the introduction and the conclusion. And there's many little details that, that show that the book was written as a whole, as, as one, one document for us to receive. For example, if you take the numerical quality of the word vanity, it is 37, and vanity appears 37 times in the whole book. Or if you count the verses, you'll count 222 verses. And the middle point is what we read in Ecclesiastes 6. It's right at 111 verses. And it's between chapter 6, verse 9, and verse 10. And right at that time, all the major themes come together. And so we can see those themes in the three points of a sermon. Considering the vanity of life, when you lose sight of God's plan, but also the difficulty of this life, that we cannot answer all the questions. And if you look at chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, you can see that in chapter 9, it mentions, chapter 6, verse 9, sorry, it mentions this vanity, this striving after the wind. That's the major theme up till then. And then chapter 10 is the question is, how can we find out? How can we know anything in this life? And, and so that's what's dealt with in the next part of the book. You see, it can happen that you have it all here under the sun, and yet you are still not satisfied. And although you may look for answers under the sun, as long as we live with this under the sun perspective, we can only conclude that we don't know. And so the book comes across as a very pessimistic book. Mention of vanity so many times, chasing after the wind. 
life under the sun? Well, that pessimism throughout the book is itself a revelation from God that we can actually have more. You see, you wouldn't think much about the repetitive cycles of nature and time and human life unless you had some eternity from beyond the sun in your heart. Ecclesiastes 1 only looks a little dismal to us because by God's grace we also know about Psalm 104 which describes the cycles of nature in a very positive way in the light of the sovereign providential hand of God who is carrying his people and providing us the beginning of our journey. You feel trapped and frustrated and perhaps even cheated by these cycles only if you truly believe that another reality is right there close by, that God speaks to us from beyond the sun. That's what creates this dissatisfaction in our heart with an empty and a vain life. Ignorance may be bliss, but Ecclesiastes takes away the blissfulness of ignorance by promising us that in God there is more. The only thing that makes your enjoyment of life feel lacking is because you know that there could be so much more. And in this way, the Lord shows us that he knows what you're going through. He knows very well what it is like to live on the earth apart from him. He knows the consequences of the fall into sin. He knows the main troubles that come to us as we live our lives under the sun. And we can see that next. God knows. You see, many of us, most of us, have been brought up in the Christian faith. And my, many others who are here this morning have, have come to learn about the faith. And so we can't even imagine, really, what it is like to live and die apart from God, to live and die without the knowledge of eternal life. And Ecclesiastes is helpful because it shows us another perspective, a perspective that really is impossible for us to have anymore because we know the Lord. Ecclesiastes shows us what kinds of things your faith changes for you. It shows you what life on earth looks like when you take yourself outside of the history of redemption. What life looks like when you give victory back to death. What life looks like when you take eternity out of your reality. And the first verses of the book emphasize that God knows that life under the sun can appear to be completely uh, completely meaningless. Look at verse 2 and, and verse 3. Vanity of vanities, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. The Lord knows. And he knows that this vanity, this is a word that it points to, to vapor, something that cannot be grasped by the hand that is there, and then it just disappears, and that 
running after the wind, chasing after the wind brings no gain. That's a good definition of vanity in verse 3. There's no gain. And when the providential hand of God is not known, the generations going, notice it's going first and then coming, a very pessimistic worldview, this generation's going and then coming on an earth that will seem like it lasts forever. That's in verse 4 of chapter 1. The sun that follows its path without changing. It's verse 5. The wind blowing round and round. The streams just continually flowing but never managing to fill the ocean. Verse 7. That's wearisome. That's wearisome for a person who simply goes with the flow and is himself, we see in verse 8, never satisfied with seeing nor with hearing. Verses 9 and 10 show that God understands that vanity, saying that people have the same needs from the beginning until today, so that even though things might look new to us, they have been around before, maybe in a different form. And the only reason things appear to be fresh to anyone is because they have forgotten the past and their focus is just on themselves in their own lifespan. If you look at those verses and you compare it to the world today, we can see that it hits the nail on the head, doesn't it? The cycle of self-absorption, just thinking about yourself, it, descri- it seems to, to describe uh, lives of today, of many lives that are informed and directed and inspired by smartphones, whatever appears in your life outside from the internet, that often also disconnect us from history, from community, from patience, from concern for others. The vanity of life under the sun is known to God. But having said that, as we read through this, we also recognize that even those who know about God can feel many of the same things as those who don't know God. When things are going well, it's not so hard to praise the Lord from your heart. But what about, asks Ecclesiastes 8 verse 14, for example, what about when we don't get rewarded for our righteousness, but the wicked do. What then? As the preacher is investigating this life and its meaning, you see in the investigation himself, he's, he's quite limited. He says, a lot of times, I don't know, I, I don't know. And, and that shows that even someone who knows about God can feel the effects of the fall into sin He can only promise that sometimes things may work out, but you can't be sure. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 17, for example. Even Christians have to learn that the sovereign God cannot be carried around in our back pocket. The author also presents the experience of a person who knows about God, but is not really close to him. In his daily life, the author writes from the perspective of a person who only has the basic stuff of the Christian life and righteousness figured out. He kind of knows 
what to do, but he doesn't know and fully understand God. He knows God is to be feared and revered. Chapter 5, verse 7, you need to watch your step around him. But at the same time, there is an underlying feeling of, of doubt and distance from God. And so the Lord shows us that he knows also what our lives can be like even when we know him as our creator. The Holy Spirit shows us that he understands how we often feel when we learn about God's sovereignty, God's holiness, God's righteousness. God has determined everything. We, we read in chapter 1, verse 15, and yet we cannot know what it is. For not only are we created, limited, finite beings, but also our minds have been darkened with sin. And Ecclesiastes reveals to us that God knows that as well. He knows the end results of the fall into sin. He knows about the death and its consequences for our lives. He knows about the toil and the sweat of our brow as we do our work. He knows about family situations that are so often broken. He knows about the loneliness that is experienced. God knows that there are many doubts and many questions and much weariness and much sadness because of death and injustice. God reveals that he knows the experience of his covenant children after the fall into sin. And he knows that apart from him you will never find any peace or contentment, but even believing in him you will not get answers to all your questions. You see, Ecclesiastes doesn't answer our questions, just like Job doesn't get an answer to all his questions. Ecclesiastes doesn't try to justify God's plan or his wisdom. It doesn't even attempt to feign to answer your questions. You see, people who come to church to get some answers, people who turn to the Christian religion to finally be able to justify and explain God, they will be sorely disappointed. We don't have all the answers, says the Holy Spirit in Ecclesiastes. Even when we know God the Creator. In fact, part of knowing Him is knowing that He is beyond our comprehension. That's the main point of Ecclesiastes. And if you believe in God, you are called to a radical and a complete trust in Him. A trust that is not based on rational explanations. God understands the reality of our limitations. He speaks to us in our limitations. He graciously accommodates himself to us. He reveals that he exists, that he loves everyone who humbles himself before him, and then he calls us to trust in him. And those who trust that God exists 
will believe that although we cannot explain everything we're seeing under the sun, beyond the sun, there is an eternal, all-powerful, sovereign, holy creator who made us and who became our father. He is a father who saw the fall into sin and who reaches down to us in our darkened and limited understanding through his word. And he calls us to trust in him completely even if we cannot understand him completely or fit him into our categories of what a God should be like. Ecclesiastes warns about the danger of removing yourself from the history of redemption by showing us what life is like without a Messiah and without a Savior and without the hope of the resurrection. And so in the contrast, we see the brilliance of the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. In the contrast, we are driven by the Spirit to trust God and to embrace the Son whom he sent to us here under the sun. And this Savior says, Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, he is our wisdom from God, our righteousness, our sanctification and redemption. Do you want answers? That's your answer. Trust in God's inexpressible unfathomable, inexplainable, undeserving love and grace to us in Jesus Christ. God came down to us in his Son. After the vanity and frustration of life without God has been clearly expressed in the first part of the book of Ecclesiastes, the next question to be asked is, how then shall we live? And the underlying assumption throughout the book of Ecclesiastes is that God made us to enjoy life in its fullness. He made us to live wisely. He made us to glorify him with our hands to an eternal purpose, living in harmony with one another Honoring your word in the face of God. Being satisfied with the material gifts that he gives to you. That's how God made us. And that's why there's so much frustration when we don't enjoy that. Somehow, says the book of Ecclesiastes, that needs to be restored to us. And so the book of Ecclesiastes, the Holy Spirit uses the viewpoint of a frustrated person living in the vanity of life under the sun to show us why we need the Son, Jesus Christ. Ecclesiastes 6, verses 10 to 12, it asks the question, it ends, who can tell us? How do we get that restoration of all things. How useful is the wisdom of this age? Can the philosophers of today give us anything to help us? Well, we know as we 
skim it. When you read through the book, it'll come very clear to you too. If you want to find your purpose for life here under the sun, you will not be able to find what you're looking for. Although there are some advantages to wisdom over foolishness, even the wisdom of this world is not the final answer. The wisdom of this world fails like the friends of Job failed him. Our explanations and our advice to one another, they're not able to change God. They're not able to change what the future holds for us. You see, he does what pleases him. He is not bound by earthly formulas for success. He's not bound by what humans decide is fair or unfair, not even wise humans. It doesn't all work out like we think it should. And so that holiness of God and that sovereignty and that freedom of God and the justice of God, they, they can be quite frightening for us. And then we come to realize in chapter 9 that death comes to all. In your own strength, you cannot control your destiny. You cannot manipulate God to make him good for you. And so we get to chapter 12 at the end. It says the only thing you can do is, is trust. Trust the creator who is beyond the sun. And when we keep reading, that's the gospel, isn't it? He did come down to us in the vanity of this life in and through his son, Jesus Christ. Ecclesiastes is the goad, the nail that drives us to Christ, that helps us remain in Christ even when we don't understand. And then all of a sudden when we can't explain things, that's not the end of our faith. That's really the beginning of our trust in Jesus Christ. And then we see the history of Revelation as God has revealed it to us in his word. We see there is a beginning and there is an end. It's not meaningless, repeated cycles, but it's God carrying out his plan. And then at one point in the history of the world, the Son of God was born to a woman, Mary. The town of Bethlehem here, under the sun. This one, Jesus Christ, he came down from heaven to die for us. And so he took upon himself that horrible end that Ecclesiastes keeps pointing to. In chapter 9, he took upon himself the death that comes to us all. As we saw 1 Corinthians 15, he, he removed the sting of death. He did so within the just requirements of God's holy law, and so he opened up the door to life. He, he made it 
possible for us to again experience the way it should be, like we have been made. And then the vanity of Ecclesiastes, it disappears like vanity, vapor. And then we realize again that our labor is not in vain, that we can find enjoyment in our relationships. All the wisdom sayings and the Proverbs of Ecclesiastes, they, they do have a, a truth in them as, as far as they are connected to Jesus Christ. And then the last part of the book of Ecclesiastes, it, it urges us to embrace the life that you have in light of your Creator who is great and who is beyond the Son and who loves us so much that He sent His Son. God is there. And so we can read Ecclesiastes with the promise of our Lord Jesus Christ front and center in our minds. He took away the curse of vanity. He showed us what true wisdom looks like. There's a very close connection between Ecclesiastes and Matthew 11. Our Lord Jesus said, wisdom is justified by her deeds. He was talking about himself. Divine wisdom is to know God, to know His Son, Jesus Christ, to believe in His perfect work and to entrust yourself to His gracious plan, to throw yourself on His mercy and to walk before Him in thankfulness. And so as we hear the gospel of Ecclesiastes, we do so in light of Matthew 11, Verses 25 to 30. The Lord Jesus explained, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The theme of Ecclesiastes that I preach to you is that God gives meaning to life under the sun through his Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.